Welcome to Season 4 of American Political History, 1676, Jamestown Showdown. As Bacon sailed his sloop down the James River to Jamestown, his boat was seized, and after some time Bacon was arrested by the authorities and brought to Governor Barclay. The assembly was convened, where Bacon would publicly admit that he had been guilty of diverse, low, rebellious practices contrary to my duty to his most sacred governor of this country, via beating of drums, raising of men of arms, and marching with them. Barclay then publicly accepted this confession, and to the shock of all witnessing, he pardoned Bacon's actions with a bond of 200 pounds sterling. The bond would be returned upon good standing and keeping of the king's peace. And then he announced that Bacon would be allowed a commission to raise troops to fight the hostile Indians. What Barclay had known was that the news of Bacon's arrest had reached the countryside. Streams of armed and resolute men supporting Bacon had entered Jamestown. A harsh retribution upon Bacon at this time would lead to a revolt inside of the relatively undefended Jamestown area. Barclay also realized that by accepting Bacon into the upper assembly, he was attempting to usurp part of Bacon's political legitimacy with the public. Barclay then used Bacon's issue of war with Indians to order an end to all other legislative investigations. At the time, the Jamestown Assembly was trying to look into Barclay's spending and to revisit the use of taxes placed upon the public. Barclay was able to avoid these political problems by instead pushing the assembly to only address the dire need of action on the frontier. Bacon saw through Barclay's maneuvering and the threat that was upon his life. Barclay had pardoned him temporarily so his men would feel mollified and return home. Once they did, Jamestown would be refortified and Bacon would be rearrested, tried, and convicted of treason. As Barclay silently ordered the local militias in the area to redeploy into Jamestown, Bacon was tipped off and fled Jamestown before he could be rearrested again. After learning that Bacon had fled Jamestown, Barclay ordered the Virginia Treasury to be loaded onto ships and to have them harboring in the waters near Jamestown. A full-fledged revolt was now likely. Just five days later, word reached Barclay that Bacon was returning to Jamestown with 400 men, and he was about 30 miles up the river. A day later, it was 500 men marching towards Jamestown. Rumors were spreading in Jamestown that Bacon had already told his men that they would get to plunder any plantation that they wanted there. Barclay was moving to see that the defenses of Jamestown were strong. Four cannons overlooked the palisades. Jamestown bordered the water on three sides, a strong defensive position to a land invasion. As Bacon approached, the situation became hopeless. Out of all of the counties around, only the local city militia responded by sending troops to Jamestown. The Berkeleyan system of patronage and corruption may have suited and favored the Burgesses, but for the small planters who were reporting for this militia duty, it was disastrous. If they died in this Jamestown militia, their unattended property would be easy targets for corrupt county officials Barclay favored. Jamestown had only 30 or 40 men rallied to her defense, while Bacon had four to 500 men marching down upon them. The men of the city militia probably had inclinations to join Bacon themselves, but like many, feared the retribution for rebels if 
unsuccessful in this revolution. Facing no real chance of winning, Barclay ordered the gates of Jamestown opened and waited for Bacon to return to the assembly hall. Bacon's men rung the bell that signified the assembly was to convene. Bacon sent one of his captains inside who demanded a commission of war against all hostile Indians. Barclay seized with anger and rage. He rushed outside and confronted Bacon. Pulling his shirt open, he demanded, Here! Pointing at his chest, Shoot me here before God! Bacon replied, No, may it please your honor, we will not hurt a hair on your head, nor any other Englishman's. Barclay challenged Bacon to settle this with a duel between them, here and now. Bacon, clearly agitated at this point, shouted back, We are come for a commission to save our lives from Indians, which you have so often promised, and now we will have it before we go. Barclay's reply was to turn his back on Bacon, refusing to do any such thing under gunpoint. Bacon locked the assembly in their hall until they did their work. Once locked inside the courthouse, Barclay shouted to Bacon that, My hands shall be cut off before I sign any such thing. As Barclay retired into his private chambers within the assembly hall, Bacon now turned his ire on the more numerous and less stalwart Burgesses. He called a hundred militiamen to assemble outside of the courthouse and present their weapons, a clear threat. Any gunfire on this hall would set the building on fire with all of them locked inside. Bacon shouted to the Burgesses that if they refused his commission for war against the hostile Indians, he would pull down ye house and have your blood. The militia started chanting, referencing the commission, We will have it! We will have it! We will have it! In this tense situation with guns and anger and rage, suddenly the Burgesses shouted back, You shall have it! You shall have it! Bacon climbed the stairs of the courthouse and listed the demands of himself and his men to the cowed Burgesses. He demanded that the governor's favorites and lackeys be forbidden from holding public office. He demanded that the letters sent to the king with Barclay's wife as he approached Jamestown be contradicted by the assembly's own letters to London. He demanded that the ship's captains that sunk his sloop be fined for damages. He demanded that the legislation on the new forts be reworded so that local county authorities can direct military resources of those forts. This marching into the House of Legislation was so similar to Cromwell's marching into Parliament that the expectation was now that Bacon would seize the Virginia colony for himself as Cromwell had England. When news of these scenes would later be reported in the king's court, it would be viewed very poorly by the Restoration Monarchy, which had taken back power from Cromwell's military dictatorship in England. But that was for later. The Assembly in Jamestown then went to work on legislation to redress the issues of the people. This session would later be referred to as the June Assembly. They first declared war on all barbarous Indians, and then took Indian trade out of the hands of the governor while banning any sale of goods to enemy Indians. They approved that the Indian War would be funded through the sale of Indian slaves and conquered Indian lands. Bacon himself had pushed this point in hopes of motivating other Burgesses to his side, because now they could see large personal profits from this war. They next reformed the Customs Office to make its records more transparent, 
along with the records of all county levies and assembly allowances. They limited county executives and sheriffs to a single year term and constrained the amount of times per year they could collect taxes. They required all proceedings of county officials to be made public, and they revoked exclusions on taxes for Burgesses and county officials. This assembly did all of this because it was popularly elected, the only Virginia assembly to be elected by popular vote between 1619 and 1776. But those reforms happened underneath the colonial civil war. The immediate aftermath was that a commission for an army of Virginia to dispose of any Indian threat, General Bacon, as he was now known, went about establishing his own lieutenants for local county militias. This was once again following the example of Cromwell and his major generals. By appointing all of the local leaders to the militias, the armed power within the county was now in Bacon's direct control. Legislators opposed them at their own risk. Of note, the lieutenant of the Northern Neck Militia was John Washington, grandfather of George, along with Giles Brandt. They would fight much of the northern battles against Indians. This was because as Bacon rallied his army and moved north, Barclay would make a massive political miscalculation. Barclay was presented with the Gloucester Petition, which stated that the county had only cooperated with Bacon because he came with a letter of approval by the assembly, but that the county remained loyal to Barclay, listing their grievances of Bacon, who had quartered his men in their homes, and took what horses and arms they pleased, drafting our men into this army. Barclay rode to Gloucester County to announce he had never given Bacon a commission, he then called on the Gloucester and Middlesex assemblies to rally their militias to suppress Bacon's rebellion. Their militias assembled on a hill next to the town. When the orders were announced to go after Bacon, the militiamen walked off the hill, chanting under their breaths, Bacon, 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 directly contesting Barclay's authority. Bacon would reverse his portion of the militia army and march back to deal with Barclay's treachery. On the way, he demanded the elites of local towns take a public oath to him. Those that failed to make this oath had their property seized as traitors to the people. Barclay, in response to his self-inflicted humiliation in Gloucester County and knowing that he had no forces to defend his loyalists with, retreated to the eastern counties of Virginia. But before he left Middlesex, he looted Fort York and any other supplies his loyalists could gather from the areas surrounding Jamestown. The colonial civil war had now begun. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.